This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Hey folks, welcome back here in the workplace. I'm Peter Capelli. I'm Dan O'Meara. I'm a professor of management here at the Wharton School. And I'm a partner at Ogletree Deacons in Philadelphia and adjunct faculty here at the Wharton School. And this show is in the workplace where we talk about the hard-hitting issues associated with the workplace. So we're going to talk in this half hour about issues around morality, leaders, and particularly the view that employees have of their leaders. And uh, I think the results here are we're going to talk about are quite striking. We're going to talk with... Uh, with Michael Eichenwald, who is advisory leader at the LRN Company, a company that does surveys, advises companies about ethical issues, and a new study they have done. And the study is called The State of Moral Leadership in Business. Michael, welcome. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Michael, just tell us a little bit about what LRN, uh, well, first of all, what's it stand for, and what do you guys do? Um, well, it's, we just like to go by LRN. Okay, uh, all right, they, right. Right. The company's been in, in business for about 25 years, and name and business have, have evolved over time. Uh, our, our business is really focused on helping companies scale their values. And we do that with an emphasis by emphasizing, emphasizing governance, culture, and leadership. So, okay, so when you say scale your values, we don't mean climb the values. <laughs> we mean, uh, we mean uh, take them and manifest them throughout the company, right? That's right. And, you know, I think there's a couple elements to this. There's a number of companies that struggle just to understand and define what they believe, even okay. to write things down. Okay. And then there's the challenge of getting a leadership team to really come together around that shared set of beliefs. Okay. But probably the hardest thing for a company to do, particularly a large multinational company, is how do you get 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 people to walk in the same direction? and move beyond rules and process as a vehicle yep. for defining behavior and get to principle and values mm-hmm. as a real vehicle to unlock freedom and enable people to fully connect with the workplace mm-hmm. and contribute their fullest capabilities and bring their character to work every day so that that company can really be great. So, so all that scaling your values. Okay. So before we get to these, uh, the study and the results here, let me just ask about uh, something about these values. Don't you ever run into companies that say, look, our values are to make money. And um, uh, our value, <laughs> we'd like our companies to be on board with the value of we want to make money. Uh, do, you, do you run into companies that, uh, that, that, that say that? Or what do they tell you that they want their values to be? So certainly there are companies out there who are only interested in money. Yeah. And some are upfront about it. Some will hide behind beautiful statements of intention, but that's really what's at their core. Yeah. Yeah. I would argue that right now we're in a unique moment of time where it's harder to it's harder to stand on that platform. That everywhere you look in the world you see leading CEOs articulating a different vision. You see gentlemen like Larry Fink coming out and challenging industry to think about their businesses in different ways. And you see the the ramifications of companies that only pursue money and through whether okay. that's the scandals or the issues that surface around bad behavior that cause them to question how they've done things. So and he, we live in a world where you increasingly are able to look inside companies. And in fact, employees within companies can tell you exactly what's happening yep. and how managers think. It gets harder to be a company that can only reside on a position of it's all about the dollar. So you think companies are paying a price now for not being, not having values which are perceived by customers and employees as being appropriate, good citizens, that kind of stuff. 
So there's certainly the price when misconduct happens. Yep. And when you're when mm-hmm. you're on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, yep. we, we see what that is. There's a price in terms of your ability to attract employees. Yep. So, um, you know, people have always sought meaning and purpose at work, but mm-hmm. now we're increasingly interested in attracting people to our workplaces who who want who want it every day and every moment. And mm-hmm. the millennials are certainly driving and challenging executives to rethink how they run their companies and what they're doing. And increasingly, I think we're seeing consumers start to bake that into their purchase decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a number of cases over the last couple of years where we've just seen how quickly a campaign can happen on Twitter and how that can impact the bottom line and impact purchasing decisions in real time. Yeah, uh, I think that's uh, certainly seen that in the last couple of years or so. So let's get to the study that you folks did, because it looks like a lot of people are out of sync with that idea. Uh, so the study is the state of moral leadership in business. Tell us why you did it and what you did. So absolutely, thank you. So first, you know, our belief in our work with our clients is that increasingly there's a need for a new leadership playbook. And that leadership playbook is certainly um, consistent with whether it's servant leadership or inspirational leadership or all of the different ways of thinking of leadership over the last couple of decades that have surfaced. But it's taking it one step further and getting into issues around what does it mean to run a moral organization. Yeah. And the reason we think that's so important is uh, business management has always been hard. And getting people aligned to do great things has always been a challenge. But it becomes even harder in the current moment where you see increasing challenges among people to appreciate each other's differences. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. things that are dividing Americans or people around the world, those same things and issues are surfacing in the workplace, okay. at the cafeteria, okay. on the assembly line. Similarly, we're increasingly seeing companies challenged to articulate what they believe in ways that might not have been expected. So suddenly morality is everywhere, whether it is a political decision that forces a company to come out and take a stand on something that it might not have wanted to before, or whether it is pressure that will come through a change.org campaign, uh, executives increasingly need a deeper understanding of what are their fundamental values as a company and how are they going to respond in the moment. Do you think that – yeah, go ahead. I was just going to add one more point, which is finally we're also renegotiating norms in the workplace right? What's right? What's wrong? What's an appropriate thing to do when it comes to paying your taxes as a company? How do you manage Mm -hmm. issues of inclusion? And how do you do all these things that get the most from your people? Mm -hmm. And people are inspired by moral behavior. They, when they believe in their company, they're going to come out and really give it their all. And so we need to figure out within companies, what does it mean to really operate a moral leadership playbook in terms of how you manage? And uh, somehow still get uh, shareholders happy, still keep them happy, right, which is the tricky thing. So the question I wanted to, to ask you was, do you think the employees are focused more on questions of morality about how the company deals with the outside interests? That is, the kinds of things that we've heard companies complaining about uh, in recent years, for example, have to do with things like um, discrimination, you know, with the government's policies on immigrants, stuff like that. Um sometimes about how they treat uh, uh, statements that they make about public policy issues and political issues like diversity questions or issues of discrimination of various kinds? Or do you think they're more focused on how the employer treats people internally, that is, how they're managing their own employees? 
Which do you yeah, think, think? Which do you think I drives think, it more? And, you, and you're, the answer you can't say both matters, okay? Because <laughs> well, we know that's true. But what do you think is more important? I think it's even more than those two. So I mean, we didn't we didn't go out and say what matters more because I think in some ways employees can't make that distinction. Okay. So they're going to look at and look out at some of the big issues and say, are we on the right side of history? And certainly, it doesn't matter if you are, if people feel that you're not taking care of them. Yeah. Well, here's what I'm after. Do you think that how much of this is just about bad management? So, for example, you got a boss uh, who might be outside of the workplace, a perfectly generous uh, person who does good works in the community, but he yells at his employees. Um, what do you think somebody's response to that would be? Do you think they would say, this guy's a moral leader or he's not a moral leader because he's a jerk around us? So I think we used to live in a world where we could segment our behavior around different cycles of our lives. Okay. And we lived in a place where we were all driven by, you know, think about Nike, the just do it years. And we're certainly past that. Right now we are seen as whole people and the ability to divide and segment how we are at work versus how we are at home or how we are with our team versus how we are with other teams, we're past those days, right? The world is fused and companies are fused. And it is increasingly difficult to separate and tease out pieces of behavior. Yeah, I'm not sure I believe that, to be honest. I think I see a lot of executives who are not presenting anything to their employees except their professional self, that they don't really expect to be moral leaders in uh, the workplace. I mean, in, the, in society, they see themselves as kind of business leaders first and moral leaders maybe, if at all, um, Part of the reason I'm thinking this is a few years ago we wrote a book about um, India and we interviewed the executives of the top firms in India where they pursue the model that you describe. So when we ask them about their priorities as CEOs and being a moral leader for my employees was something at the very top of their list of priorities. I didn't see many U.S. companies where I thought anybody thought that. Uh, but we could agree to disagree on that one. Let me just remind people what we're doing. We're talking about moral leadership in the workplace here, and we're going to find out the results of the study here that the LRN folks did. And we're with um, Michael Eichenwald, who is advisory leader at an at LRN company that advises employers and other organizations about ethics in the workplace. So you did this study, you surveyed employees, and what did you find? Yeah, well, let's get to the data, and I think in some ways it bridges some of the difference that you were just referencing. So I certainly think that the first question we wanted to know is, um, what are employees thinking of this? It's one thing for us to sit on the outside and yeah. throw a model into an organization. It's another to hear in their, in, in their constructs what, how they think about it. And here I'll give you two data points that surprised us, to be honest. The first was we asked employees, do you think your company would make better decisions if leaders were to follow the golden rule? Now, the beauty of the golden rule is you can't be selective about it. It's everywhere. So mm -hmm. it's your customers, it's your employees, it's your stakeholders. Yep. And we found that four out of five employees, 83%, think that their company would make better decisions if they did so. So do you interpret that as saying they don't follow it now? To a certain extent. Okay. Because um, just to add a couple more data points to make our conversation a little bit richer, the second thing we asked was, do you think that your organization would be better on taking on its biggest challenges, operational challenges? So whether that's innovation or growth or M&A, if the leaders in your organization had more moral authority. Okay. Right? So they were using a moral playbook as okay. opposed to the positions of power. So and let's again, can, can I ask you what that means? Though? Yeah. So, yeah, so, sure. so let's say I'm at a finance company in New York. I'm an investment bank. 
uh, and I'm talking to my employees, um, I'm talking to the analyst group there, what's my moral authority? What would be reasonable moral authority for me to exercise as a manager of these guys? So I think, I think that the first question is, how do you build moral authority? And then what are the leadership behaviors that really enable you to accumulate more, to protect what you have, and to wield it well? And when we think about how a, how a manager in a company wields more authority, we tend to focus on four things. The first is, do you have a noble purpose, right? And have you framed it as a journey? Have you framed a contribution that you as a team, that you as an organization, that you're going to make in the world to really make it a better place? Okay, so let's go to that before we get lost in too many of these. So I'm working at this investment bank in New York, and I'm talking mm-hmm. to my analysts here. Uh, what is my broader social purpose, and um, what's the journey to achieving that purpose? What, what do you think yeah, you could I, credibly say if you're running an investment bank, let's say, in New York? I think the challenge for a finance leader is to, and I mean, we referenced Larry Fink before to a certain extent, right? There's a, a company in that industry that is saying we're going to put our capital to certain kinds of use. And we think that that kind of use for companies that are thinking about long-term, that are sustainable, that their very first piece of guidance that they came out are fully investing in their employees, are going to generate more return, and that's where we want to put our money. So suppose you're that, not doing that, though. Suppose you're a company that's just trying to make money. What do you? And I think you, I think you're going to be challenged to play a moral authority playbook, and okay. I think that that's going to hurt you in the long term. And um, if you're going to go out there, if your value proposition to your employees is come here and make money, yeah. the challenge you're going to have is, first of all, what are they going to do to make money? We see, we all know how that story goes. And they're also going to walk out the door for the next person who's going to pay them a little more. So there are yep. some people who mm-hmm. are going to choose to pursue that as their strategy. Okay. And you know, I think it's going to be increasingly harder over time. I'm not saying that they're going to disappear overnight. I just think over the longer term, they're going to have more. They're going to have more chance. Yeah. No, I think I buy that. The idea that if you have a social purpose, it's a good thing. My view is, uh, which is not uninformed, I think, is that most companies don't have that, and in lots of industries, it's hard to have it. Like if you're in the investment world, it's hard to say um, what is our social purpose here. You're trying to make money for shareholders, and uh, if you're running a big investment company, there's no intermediate product. You're trying to make money. Um, and you can't say, you know, in the process of making money, we're also helping people. No, you're not. <laughs> you're just making money, right? So it's trickier in some places than others. If you're running a hospital, pretty straightforward. If you're running an investment bank, a little harder. Let's get to the data here, uh, and particularly more some of these uh, employer responses, which I found quite striking. Let me give you a couple of them, make sure I got these right. Um, one of them, for example, asked employees, do their leaders usually take a stand on moral topics? And uh, only 13% said they did. Uh, only 15% said that their CEO elevates others by being empathetic and connected. I, I think I would see that more as behavior than ethics in the usual sense, but pretty stunning. Now, does that really mean that 85% or so think they don't, just to be clear? Or, or did most people say, I don't know? on this one? Well, whenever you do these surveys, there's always going to be a chunk who are in the middle. And these data points that you're calling out are those who do it on a regular basis, who would really, we're trying to get at what is their habit when it comes to how they lead. Yeah. And I do think, though, that you're certainly right, that these are shocking numbers. And, you know, from our perspective, what we're trying to juxtapose is this clamoring from employees for the golden rule, for the exercising of moral authority. Mm -hmm. And the big gap 
between what they're seeing from their managers and mm-hmm. from their CEOs. Yep. Now, I guess I would say that if you were asking our mothers what we were talking about here, a lot of this has to do with manners and good behavior. So, for example, listen to a couple of these. Uh, 17%, only 17%, say their leaders stand up for people who are being treated unfairly. And only 16% say that their managers shine the spotlight on others rather than themselves. And only 13% say their leaders make amends when they get things wrong. You know, they sort of apologize or something, right? So this this is pretty, I'd say, I don't know, ask Dan here, who's staring at me sure. on this one. Are, these, are you shocked by these or no? They do seem like low numbers. Yeah, I think, I Although, think so. Look, can I throw in my own skepticism on a narrow part of this? Okay. The danger of encouraging leaders or anyone to manifest their own morality in the workplace okay, is that a whole lot of people improperly confuse their morality with their political opinions. Okay. And in a whole lot of workplaces, you got someone who's so <laughs> in love with their own political opinions, they think they're the morally right ones. And they're trying to help people's morality okay. by yep. telling them they ought to vote Democratic or Republican. Okay. And it does nothing but create friction in the workplace because the people listening to it are saying, listen, I'm not a blowhard like you, but I'm, yep. I have my own opinions. Yep. And I really don't care for you trying to shove yours down my throat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the question, Michael, is where is the line here? So, for example... A lot of people, let's say, uh, feel strongly about questions like abortion and believe those are moral questions, and they certainly are moral questions. I think every moral philosopher and ethicist would recognize that as a profound moral question. Uh, And if you're an employer, you want to take a strong stand on that moral issue. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because in a context like that question, the workforce is likely profoundly divided on it. Yeah, well, I think I think a couple of things. So I think we have to be pretty. We have to be precise in where we're thinking of things as moral versus political. There's obviously a morality in our politics, but I don't think it's part of a moral leadership playbook to impose your politics on somebody else. And to bring this to life, I think there's it's well thought of and well and been well written on. But if we can use Ken Fraser's decision to withdraw from one of President Trump's advisory councils. Yeah. He articulated this as a matter of conscience. Okay. Then he when he told his board that he was going to do it because he needed to align them on the decisions that he made. And what he really did, though, in saying that I, as CEO, can make a decision of matter of conscience as a representative of this organization, he created space for others in the organization to do so. But he did, so act, on, like but he did act on his personal values, right? And before he made that, he did. It was, and before he made the decision, though, he also went to the board to tell him that he was going to do it, okay. right, to enlist them in the idea. And I think that's what we're getting at. I mean, people within organizations are going to have to talk about things, right? And we're increasingly hearing about very successful and effective practices where organizations are talking about issues of race and justice and fairness in the workplace. And I think that the time where we could pretend that's the realm of politics, leave it outside, we're mm-hmm. all here to make money, mm-hmm. then those days are over. Yeah. And those organizations that do that will be hard-pressed to get their employees to come and say, I'm going to give you my all, because I can't give you my all unless I feel belonging at work. Mm-hmm. And to feel belonging at work, I need to have an outlet to talk about the things that are important to me, and that is going to ask, that's a whole different level of ask yeah. for managers to be able to navigate that space in a way that brings people together and doesn't tear them apart. I think back to Dan's point, though, I think that one is kind of an easy one because it is a topic that politically most people 
at least wouldn't argue about in public. Uh, to say that you're for an inclusive and diverse workplace, not very tricky or controversial. But suppose, for example, you believe that it's very important to be involved in charity and public works, which is you know, a moral position and one that is not that objectionable, but that you're encouraging all your employees, to, that you tell your employees that you tithe and you encourage them all to give 10% of their funds to uh, charities, right? Uh, you're acting on your moral position. It is a moral argument. You going to irritate some people with that one? Well, I think that part of a moral leadership playbook is about how you elevate others. And you don't elevate others when you come in and impose your particular habit and practice on them. When you go and have a conversation with them about what does it mean for us as employees and members of a community to take responsibility for the places we live and others who need things, yeah. you create space for others to opt into that conversation. And I think that thinking of but, this— And also and, opting out, right? Because there are a lot of people who don't believe that, libertarian sort of folks who think that the moral position is just to take care of yourself, right? So, well, they might think that it's not the role of government to do that, but I don't know that most libertarians would think that they don't in some way want to choose to take responsibilities for their community. I think it's something people differ on, right? So I, I think that's the the complication here is what happens when you hit moral questions on which there is not a consensus, right? And, then, and I would say, and I, I, I would, Michael, we're running out of time. Music means we we're go. out of time. Music means we're out of town. Thanks very much for being with us. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back in just a couple minutes. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.